0: Digital Digest, your weekly podcast from Capacity Media on all things digital infrastructure. I'm your host, editor Melanie Mingus, and joining me this week, we have editor-at-large Alan Berker-Grey, deputy editor Natalie Bannerman, and reporter Saf Malik. Later in this episode, we will also hear from Gerd Simon, who chairs the judging panel for the Data Cloud Awards. Now, we were pressed to take that event virtual back in 2020, but we are due to return to Monaco this April, so there's lots of exciting news coming up shortly. Before that, a roundup of the headlines. Oman has a new operator after Vodafone launched services in the Sultanate. Telia Company has agreed to sell Telia Latvia for 10.75 million euros in cash, while Kazan Data Centers is planning two new data centers in Dubai. And it's been a busy one for at t The US Major has partnered with NVIDIA to enhance the cloud gaming experience for customers, while CEO John Stankey. Addressed a Citibank conference in recent days and revealed that almost 900,000 new monthly paying phone subscribers were added in the fourth quarter. And there's been lots of news out of Africa over recent days as well. In Tanzania, Airtel Africa has closed its first tower sale for 176.1 million US dollars. In South Africa, there are fresh question marks over the country's 5G rollout and 4G expansion after further court battles between the regulator and telecom. And in Ethiopia, the regulator there has cancelled plans to offer a new telecom license. That would have brought a third player into the market. Well, moving on with today's episode, it's now time to introduce our first guest of 2022. It's Gerd Simon, who is chair of the judges committee for the Data Cloud Awards taking place this April. Gerd, welcome to the Digital Digest.
1: Good morning, Melanie, and Happy New Year to you.
0: Thank you. Happy New Year. It's so exciting that we're here in January with a whole 12 months ahead of us, and who even knows what's going to happen in the industry. But as we're recording this episode today, it's just over 100 days until Data Cloud 2022. And this year, we are planning to return to Monaco and the Grimaldi Forum, where the conference and awards this year will take place. That all kicks off on the 25th of April, but nominations for Data Cloud 2022 awards are already open. Today, we're going to be talking about what it takes to bag one of these highly coveted trophies. Now, there are 16 categories this year. So to begin, Gerd, tell us what the judges want to see from this year's
1: entries. Uh, Melanie, we want to see a variety of best-in-class developments. And in order to judge, we like to see also facts and figures proving the evidence being a market leader in a category.
0: Well, due to the quality of nominations, there's always at least one close call when it comes to selecting winners. So which categories are usually the most closely contended? And how can entrants get that edge or puns intended?
1: Well, Melanie, I think uh, the most contended categories are the excellence in in. Uh, regional data centers, and of course, the cloud service provider of the year award and the data center of the year award. These were the most contended in the past. Now, when it's about how to perform, I think to be a winner or not to be highly depends on a market leader attitude. A market leader is not scared to persuade the audience with an elevator pitch, providing data and all also showing that there is an impact. So a market leader, a market leader in that sense, wants to get along with the peers, and he wants to show that he is ahead of the peers. And I think this is what we then want to see. More important, of course, is that customer testimonials are also very important in order to show that the message Conveyed is 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 good and accurate and compelling and of course all the nominations are confidential.
0: Fantastic, that's very reassuring for the people who are going to be submitting this information. So looking at some of the other categories now, because in, in addition to the usual service, projects and technology categories, ESG is also playing a big part in 2022. And we have awards for young innovators, education, employment, um, net zero carbon and diversity as well. Of course, but these categories don't call on technical or financial expertise. So what What kind of information do you want to see here?
1: I think, Melanie, we we like to see information that concern the biggest challenges we have in our industry. One big challenge we face is the scarcity of experts. And the other one is we need innovative concepts. So we want to award innovators, forerunners, who can demonstrate that they did it.
0: Very good point. Yes, that sounds really exciting. Well, talking next about in-person attendance, the Elephant in the virtual room, if you will. Now, there are obviously still COVID restrictions in many markets and we don't know what the future will bring. But what are you hearing from people about their plans to attend in person and maybe like some of the concerns as well?
1: When I'm talking to a couple of market participants, we still face some travel restrictions, in particular from the US or from overseas in general. Also, of course, uh, many Asian countries, they have now some well, restrictions and increasing in restrictions. But on the other hand, what I hear is that everybody wants to be in Monaco and wants to meet in person rather than having a digital meeting. I think this is a kind of atmosphere that we are longing to uh, to that experience, to see each other again, to have the talks, uh, to have the the negotiations and preparing the deals.
0: We're hearing a similar thing on our side as well, and of course. Last summer wasn't too bad. Most of the restrictions were lifted, people were able to travel, and business meetings did take place. And then already this year we have it's a shorter version, but CES is still going to be taking place in person. Um we also have the Winter Olympics coming up in a few weeks' time. We're quietly confident here. We're very excited to see everybody in person as and when we're able to. As far as we're planning, this is very much all going ahead live in person at the Grimaldi Forum from the 25th of April. Good, well, we have you on the line, because it is the start of a new year, 2022, and new years always bring new trends. So What are your trends to watch for data center operators over the next 12 months?
1: The the trends for the the next month is really about carbon neutrality, about our impact to get to a higher uh, efficiency. Order in all, also in that uh, in that respect, and to find innovative partners and innovative ideas with a community approach to show to the market, to the to the governments that data centers are a helping hand to achieve. the the targets of CO2 reduction, to achieve the targets regarding the CO2 harvesting and to be a good citizen. And I think that's one of the most important trends for the the upcoming uh, 24 months. Also, how we adopt to new forms of energy, how we embrace hydrogen and how we embrace these kind of developments that help us to get better day by day.
0: Fantastic. Well, we will definitely keep an eye on all those trends here at Capacity and Data Economy. Um, And if you're listening to this episode and you wish to submit any company news um, about your data center company, please do get in touch with us via editorial at capacitymedia.com. Gerd, thank you so much for joining us today. It's been great to speak with you. Um, And we do look forward to catching up again once nominations have closed in a few weeks. Um, But do you have any final thoughts or a message maybe for our listeners today?
1: Well, I think, Melanie, I'm I'm really excited about Data Cloud 2022 uh, and about seeing all the peers, the friends and the, the market leaders back in Monaco as we did last time in 2019. So I'm really looking forward to the to the show to the conference and to the awards celebration and I wish to uh, say to you and to all the listeners here on the podcast the happy new year lots of success and uh, indulge all the moments and I look forward to seeing you all in good health, in April in Monaco.
0: Fantastic, Gerd. Thank you so much. It's just over 100 days away as we record today, so I'm sure it's going to swing around really quickly and we'll all be bumping elbows in person in absolutely no time.
1: Perfect. So stay safe, stay alert and uh, look forward to seeing you, Melanie, in a few weeks down in Monaco. And you.
0: Thank you so much, Gerd. Thanks for joining us. We'll catch up soon. So the first story of this week, we are going to go to Natalie, who has been covering um, news from Exa Infrastructure regarding the Ionian Subsea Cable. So Natalie, over to you. What's been going on in
2: the Mediterranean? Yeah, so Exa Infrastructure, um, for those who don't know, is obviously the company that last year acquired GTT's infrastructure assets across Europe and North America. They were actually sold to Ice square Capital, but, you know, was turned into a company in its own right. And um, they have actually announced a partnership with Isolink, which is the Subsea Cable operator Operator. Specifically, EXA is now the key landing and terrestrial services partner in Italy, as well as the anchor tenant on the Isla uh, link Ionian subsea cable. For those who don't know, the Ionian cable is a 24-fiber pair system, and it spans 320 kilometers, so not a large system, but it connects Crotone in Italy to uh, Preveza in uh, Greece, and most cables in that region of Italy generally connect at Bari and Genoa in, or in Sicily, Crotone actually offers what the company calls a new and diverse landing location. So quite an exciting one. It's always great to uh, hear about new hubs in the world of subsea. For EXA's part in this new partnership, they will create a new terrestrial fibre route between Crotone and the lights of Milan and Rome. We'll also build the beach manhole and front hall ducts in Crotone and provide maintenance services for the cable landing station. If that wasn't enough, EXA will also be one of the main anchor tenants on the Ionian cable and they will also construct a new 345 kilometer cable on its existing network in Barry and crotone in the way of terrestrial backhaul. Overall, the Ioni- Ionian cable um, has a contract in force at present and is actually due to be completed in the fourth quarter of 2022, so probably sometime around November if our sources are correct, so we will be keeping an eye out for that. So that's it from me. Awesome. Thanks, Natalie. The thing that really caught my eye about this
0: story is that it's only four months since the GTT carve-out that created Exa Infrastructure was actually concluded. And aside from the 400 gig launch that we heard about in October, this is actually the biggest news story so far from Exa. Now, we've all spoken to Exa. We had Mr. Blanken on the podcast that time. I know, Alan, Natalie, you've spoken um, to various people at Exa, GTT, and iSquared Capital over recent months. So given kind of like the background knowledge that we all have on Exa as a company and you know what their objectives and vision, as they say, um, it could be. How does this development kind of match what we've heard so far?
2: I think it aligns quite nicely. I mean, I think the standout for me from the, that kind of period of, of interviews was that Exa very much wants to be positioned, I believe it was a dumb pipe, Alan, uh, when, uh, that Martin described the company as. So, you know, in keeping with that, you know, subsea cables or terrestrial backhaul is very much where I would see that being best aligned. And of course, because of GTT's assets across North America and Europe, this project kind of makes perfect sense. I mean, when Isla Link was first announced, it was announced as both a subsea cable and two terrestrial fibre routes. I believe Grid Telecom is building the terrestrial fibre route in Greece and obviously now EXA building the terrestrial link in Italy. So I think to me it's quite right. It sounds like they're doing um, everything that they set out to do.
3: Yeah, I think you're right, Natalie, because of the infrastructure division of GTT uh, as it was largely interroute plus a couple of two or three transatlantic cables and they'd be Really not done any investment in it for three, four, five years. And it was really quite disconcerting, especially to the ex interroot people, because they wanted, they saw that the wholesale proposition, the dump pipe proposition, was key to where interroot had started. But GTT was a services company, is a services company, wants to wanted to swing the whole thing into that area rather than dump pipes. And there were lots of frustrated people, ex interroot, then GTT now probably EXA, who are very frustrated that they weren't able to sell dump pipes anymore. And I think this is a, a swing, a swerving of EXA back to the old interroot uh, model of being, hey, we're a dump pipe. There's a lot of demand for dump pipes across. You've got to be a good dump pipe. That's all. And they've got a huge infrastructure which stretches all the way from the east coast of the US, I think Chicago, right to Istanbul, right across Europe, very densely. And, and they said, Martin, when he said when he became CEO that there were lots of bits to fill in and I guess this is more than a fill in this is a really significant uh, deal Very much so yeah, let's
0: see what gets filled in next Well thanks for that one Natalie, excellent roundup and onto the next story of the episode now and one that seems to change every few months it's roaming charges,
4: Zach, <laughs> over to you Thanks Melanie and yes this is one that's actually just changed in the last few days Roaming charges have officially been delayed with uh, Vodafone now planning to bring in the charges at the end of the month and EE bringing them back in March, both are implementing the charges for customers who are new or have upgraded their contracts within the past five months or so. For Vodafone users, that's August 11th, and EE users, that's October 1st. The changes were announced last year and were made following the UK's exit from the European Union, and it seems like this is kind of a direct result of that decision. A spokesperson for Vodafone cited the need for further testing to ensure the best possible experience for customers buying their £1 per day bundles. (laughs) EE said the delay was due to technical issues, although when contacted, they didn't really expand on what those technical issues were. According Analysts, though, the reintroduction of roaming charges demonstrates the impact of Brexit on UK telecoms. They're not being called roaming charges per se because of the negative connotations that the word roaming will have to many customers, but the charges are an easy commercial decision, according to the analysts, because they help UK telcos to improve margins at a difficult time amid the ongoing pandemic. Last year, I contacted the operators after EU were the first to make the decision, and they all assured me that they had no plans to reintroduce roaming charges. Fast forward six months, and three out of the four All major UK telcos have all reintroduced the charges with O2 being the only telco that is yet to do so. So all eyes will be on now as to whether or whether they don't make the decision.
0: We're all watching this one. And it's a weird one because you mentioned Brexit there and the Brexit trade deal obviously didn't rule out the charges. But the crux of this is whether or not the telcos are covering costs or taking an opportunity. Because we all know telco margins are being squeezed at the moment. But what isn't so clear is the commercial move that will help them weather that challenge, let's say. What are you hearing from, you're kind of asking people about
2: this?
4: I have contacted telcos and they haven't got back to me about whether they are paying more for international calls. I'm still waiting on a response for them. But analysts have said that it's the easiest way for operators to increase revenue because they're investing billions in kind of costly next generation fixed and mobile networks. So this just seems like the easiest way for them to improve margins, especially with the struggles attached to the ongoing pandemic.
0: Very interesting. Let's see what they say in return.
3: To be perfectly cynical, it's a good time for them to introduce it because almost nobody is traveling at the moment no one's going on two week ski breaks or things like that nobody's booking their summer holidays because we just don't know what position we're going to be in by July and August so by the time people actually get those horrible bills then uh, they'll companies like Vodafone and EE and 3 will be able to say oh, yeah this has been around for a year yeah, didn't you notice very true Alan same with a lot of different things
0: thanks for that one Seth very interesting developments there and Alan coming back to you now OneWeb now you've had a few developments over this but we've obviously had a bit of a break over the festive period and things have changed again so I'm just going to hand over to you and let's get
3: the latest <laughs> Well it didn't for one web because there were there was a whole launch team in Baikonur in Kazakhstan because the launch was postponed of their latest rockets, and it went on off on I think the 27th of December I spent an hour or so on Christmas Day on the 25th of December watching the James Webb telescope being launched by Arianne Spass from in French Guiana, which was good fun as the dinner was cooking. But two days later, the same company, Ariane but from thousands of miles away in Kazakhstan, launched the latest satellites for OneWeb and that was perfectly successful, which means OneWeb's had a 100% success rate so far, which is great. Congratulations to them. But the more and more mystery about when they'll actually launch commercial service. Back a year ago, January 2021, the executive chairman of uh, some Barty mittal told me in an interview that services would be started between 50 degrees north and the North Pole in October 2021. Um, We've well past that deadline now. Yeah, two and a half months. So what's happened? It hasn't they haven't been launched. I talked to various people around the industry. BT said they were going to be starting to try out services in January, which is where we are now. One where I did a story just before Christmas saying that I thought that there was a five or six month delay, which would put the commercial launch to March or April. uh, If you take the original date of October 2021 as being point to which you start counting. So I got a, a very cross message from somebody at OneWeb saying, oh, it's we're not six months delayed, by the way, would appreciate a relook. It's gone everywhere. So I went back to my contact and said, let me know what the ETA, the estimated time of arrival for the commercial launch was. And that was um, some more time ago and haven't had a reply yet. So I think we're probably safe given that we're now in January. The, the launch is likely after BT and the other operators, and that's Verizon, and ATT in North America, BT in the UK, using it for either for backhaul of uh, base stations or Wi-Fi hotspots or something like that to get broadband into rural areas. If they haven't even started trying yet, which is odd, I can't see how they're going to be launching services quite so quickly. I think it will be March. Nobody launches things in north of Scotland and Alaska in March. It's just too cold. I think it's going to be, this is my gut feeling, uh, without any direct evidence from one way Web, and I must clarify that I think it will be March or April Before they are fully commercial Across or um, across north of 50 degrees Now 50 degrees is conveniently A line of latitude That covers all of the UK it, The 50th parallel Just cuts through the Lizard Which is the southernmost point Of mainland UK It covers a lot of Canada But not all of it Not the really popular Populous parts of Canada All of northern Canada It co- covers all of Alaska And a lot of northern Scandinavia Northern and places like that, should OneWeb decide to launch in those areas as well. The idea was that they would offer service globally by the middle of 2022, middle of this year. I think probably just feeling what's going on. I suspect the big delays in getting receivers into the market and obviously chips, there's a huge global shortage of semiconductor chips and, and the supply chain. It's getting these things into containers out of southern Korea. Or or places like that into the market. And I think that's probably the big challenge that the industry is facing. It's a bit of a problem for OneWeb because obviously SpaceX is, is already launching commercial services, is already offering commercial services. If you go onto the SpaceX website, you can order a terminal, even if you're in the UK or in North America or wherever, get it delivered by mail or courier and install it. So I guess OneWeb is a wholesale operator, not a retail operator. SpaceX is a retail operator. I think, you know, it's a big of a blow to OneWeb, but we will see. They can catch up, I'm sure. But there's other competitors coming along as well over the next few years. I mean, I'm not saying that this whole market is dead. I think using low-orbit satellites to deliver broadband to rural areas is going to be a really good proposition. I just think it's taking a bit longer to get going than people expected, You know, despite... I mean, OneWeb's had a lot of problems. OneWeb version one went bankrupt, was rescued by the British government and by uh, Sunil Bharti Mittal. And now it's got lots of revenue, lots of investment from companies from from Utilsat to Hughes to all sorts of others around the world. They've invested billions in it, and I think it's going to be a successful company. It's just, you know, the problem is don't give a deadline if you can't can't stick to it and you know a year ago Sunil Bharti Mittal the executive chairman said oh, it'll be happening by October and by Christmas I will be able to have a receiver in my house we're now January and it's not available and I certainly haven't got a receiver in my house not what I'm asking for one that would be better than my BT broadband but there we are I think it's just going to take a long time. So it's still
0: up in the air, but not in the way it's supposed Literally. to be. Literally. And what as a wholesale operator, and you just mentioned BT there as well, there's a lot of people depending on them. Have we heard from BT or any of the other partners? That yeah, are- BT, it
3: was BT who said they were going to start testing in January. So that sounds, you know, if they're only just starting testing in this month. That seems... This is what the BT person said to me. It's a bit early, bit too early to say when we will launch services for UK customers, and we're looking to do some lab and customer trials early next year, which is early 2022. Now, that just seems so indefinite. This is a statement just before Christmas to me by BT. Early next year, that means early 2022. Early sounds like they're not quite sure yet. And that's trials. You know, that's not... That's lab trials and then customer trials. So it means it hasn't even, by Christmas, hadn't even got into the BT labs for testing. So who knows? And of course, then everybody went away, or shut down for Christmas. So we will be picking this up over the next few days.
0: Yes, definitely. We will be following up on this a lot over the coming days and weeks. The supply chain challenges, though, are really interesting because when COVID first started, this is something that many people kind of saw in their crystal balls, um, so to speak. And it was very much, you know, a lot of people were concerned about what could happen in terms of supply chains, factories, you know, supply of essential goods for all sorts of things, not just telecoms equipment. But in the first kind of six to 12 months of the pandemic, the storm was weathered okay. It's only since, I don't know, it was over the course of 2021, really, that supply chain crunch really started to happen. I mean, it's almost a year now since the um, chip issue was raised, the semiconductors, but we've had Evergrande and, you know, a lot of other kind of shipping and logistic issues, which seem to be biting a lot more than the actual pandemic itself. So, you know, if is the reason for
3: the delays. No, I think you're right, Melanie, because I think what happened was people recognized that there was a semiconductor problem, though that was largely US embargo on Chinese chips. So a lot of users around the world had built up a stockpile and they were working their way through that stockpile. And they were also concerned from about Taiwanese suppliers. And the whole semiconductor industry was a bit shaky at the beginning of the pandemic, but we all thought it would, we would get through it. And then, of course, I think those stockpiles have been... Been eaten up or used up. And there's a whole lot of new demands. There's, you know, there's electric cars, very hungry for semiconductors. And I think, you know, it's suddenly the big resilience issue is firstly, it was that a lot of telecoms operators around the world were relying on Huawei and ZTE and that was shut off. And then that. Behind all telecoms operators were relying on chip makers, a lot of which were in southern China. And that's got shut off by the pandemic, as well as by political and trade issues. So yeah, I think don't start designing some new chip for 2022 because you have no idea when you're going to get them. I mean, it's a complex engineering process. I don't know when it's going to happen. Yeah, I think this is going to be a big issue for the continued rollout of 5G this year, probably for, as we said, low-orbit satellites, probably for fixed broadband as well. I mean, we need chips, and they're a long way away if you're in Western Europe or North America because they're mainly coming from East Asia, whether that be Taiwan or Japan or South Korea or Southern China.
0: Yeah, indeed. Despite the challenges, we have not been short on other satellite news this week. In recent days, we've heard that Hughes Network Systems and Bharti Airtel have formed JV, which is called HCIPL, um, and they're going to combine their V-Site operations to provide satellite broadband services in India. And also around the same time that, that news broke, um, SAF covered a story that Starlink, everyone's favourite satellite retail firm, has been actually been ordered to refund all the pre-orders for satellite internet services, also in India. So I think it's going to be a lot of challenges for satellite this year, whereas last year it very much seemed as though you know satellites are future let's solve some rural broadband issues and get the world connected but interesting
3: Alan. we're going to keep an eye on this one we are yes and there was some good news though just again just before Christmas that which is the broadband speed if you do speed tests type speed tests into your laptop and it's likely that the speed test will be done by Uclo which is an American company they said that a lot of people across Europe are already getting faster broadband speeds from companies from Starlink so SpaceX's Starlink faster than their fixed broadband that is available in their area which is quite strange really if I had a Starlink dish on my roof, then yes, I would get it fast. I mean, average speeds are quite stunning. Median speed, for example, for fixed broadband, says so Ucla was 53 megabits a second. Median speed, download speed for Starlink, SpaceX's Starlink, is 111. So it's about twice, more than twice what you get from a satellite than from uh, a bit of fiber in the ground, which is just crazy. Mind-blowing stuff.
0: Well, that brings us to the end of this week's episode. Thank you to the team for bringing us the latest on all those stories. Thanks to everybody who listened and a huge thanks also to GERD for sharing all that insight on Data Cloud 2022. We will be back next week with more stories from the global tech and telecom space, as well as some insight on data center power connections in Ireland and some other trends from the Emerald Isle. But until then, we'll not leave you without updates. You can catch up with all the latest telecoms and data center news over at capacitymedia.com. And don't forget to sign up to our daily and weekly newsletters. Check out the latest edition of Capacity Magazine, and also register for our upcoming events. In the next couple of months, we have Metro Connect USA and also Capacity Middle East. So, lots to look forward to there. For now, that's all from me and the team. Have a great week. Take care and catch you next time.